0: Welcome to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. My name is Nicole Van Tassel. And I'm Erin Sadler. And we are two science teachers dedicated to helping you cut through the confusion and meet the intent of the NGSS so you can master all three dimensions. The NGSS can seem totally overwhelming, but implementing these standards doesn't need to be. Welcome back to the Teaching Science in 3D podcast. So today we are doing another listener question uh, podcast episode. And we are going to be talking about how do we have students do activities when they don't have supplies at home. So this is kind of continuing our virtual learning or online classes um, conversation. So Erin, do you want to like start addressing this question? I mean, it's a reality that our science is so hands-on. and. You know, we want to keep doing those hands-on activities, but what do you do when your students don't have those supplies? <laughs>
1: Um, So there's a lot of different ways that you can handle this situation. Like, first of all, you can start by using simulations. And I think that that's a really easy way to start bringing in that, like, um, not necessarily hands-on learning, but that being able to manipulate variables and stuff like that um, in a controlled way that's easy for students. And then you don't even have to worry about the supplies.
0: So true. I think it's important to differentiate, like, hands-on is great, but hands-on alone isn't isn't like the end all be all. You can have a hands on activity that has no educational value and it's just fun. Um, And then you can have a really amazing simulation that's not hands on at all, but it is so intellectually stimulating and minds on for students that they learn so much more through it. And I think it also probably, there's a degree of the age level that you're working with. You know, if you have younger students, elementary, hands-on is really really important because they learn so much through the sensory and through their hands and all of that and a hands-on activity might be great for that grade level, but then I you know, you see it replicated at the same activity at the middle school level and it loses the learning the learning like aspect. You know, yeah. so
1: Yeah. And I I think that when we're looking at like elementary activities, a lot of times we're looking at um, like qualitative observations. And when when we're at the middle school, we really want them to start like um, start putting numbers to, you know, (laughs) what they're doing. So, Um, so simulations can kind of provide that because those measurement tools are the things that we really can't afford to like, you know, get, get to our students. We're not going to go, you know, drop off graduated cylinders or, you know, have them pick up that kind of a thing. It's just not feasible. So that's where simulations can really help. Yeah,
0: that's, that's definitely true. Um, Okay. So simulations are amazing. They're a great way to incorporate that exploration um, because that's really what you're, what you're trying to get to when you're doing activities. You're trying to incorporate like the ultimate goal is not just doing the activity. It's getting the to the exploration and getting to that, figuring it out. So you can do the simulations. What if you can't find a really good simulation, but you have this really good,
1: you know, hands-on activity, like what do you do then? So I've seen a lot of people starting to put together like take-home bags. Um, A lot of schools are having like pickup days where the students basically just drive through and pick up some supplies and, and the teachers are just putting together these materials for their students and they're just kind of like disposable materials that, you know, the students don't have to return um, a lot of like dollar store items and stuff like that, that um, the kids can use at home.
0: That's awesome. I love that idea. I have seen also some teachers caution, you know, be careful with liability issues. You know, obviously that's things, those are things you need to run by your principal, your district. We're not telling you to go send your students home with like I don't know, some sort of crazy acid or something, (laughs) Um, get parents permission, (laughs) all of that. Um, But yeah, I think that is like an awesome, an awesome way to bring, especially to make take home, um, I'm sorry, to make these hands on activities accessible, Um, because a lot of times we can use very common and pretty cheap items or even items you might have in your classroom already, like supplies you might have that it's just a matter of, putting the bags together, dispensing the materials, and and it's stuff that they can just keep.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think I that that's a great idea. I think that's my least favorite, though, for a couple of reasons. Yeah. Uh, one, like the liability. Like if you're handing students the supplies, then I think that it kind of like pushes that liability a little bit more on you. Um, two... the the time that's involved with putting together those kits. That
0: is true. And
1: then we were talking about it in our department meeting recently, and it's just the waste. Like we don't want to add to all of the plastic and the, you know, all of that kind of stuff. So my strong preference (laughs) is to really emphasize that planning and carrying out investigations and see if students can set up the investigation themselves to where they're using their household supplies. So you can give them some ideas of things to use, but um, it doesn't necessarily like you don't have to tell them they have to use um, a piece of cardboard or a ruler. Like you can tell them, like give them the basic idea and then have them find supplies in order to do that. So like um, one of the first things that we're doing in my eighth grade class is where I'm having students like build ramps and then like change the angle of the ramp in order to see what happens. Um, yes. So they don't need me to tell them what they can use for a ramp. I could give them some ideas, but.
0: Yeah. I So it's so funny that you mentioned the ramps because that's something that we talked about in one of our academy, like lunch and learns or glow and grow feedback sessions, or I don't know, one of those meetings. Back in the spring, um, one of our members, I think it was um, Michelle, maybe, or maybe it was Megan, one of the M one of the people whose name started with M and I'm spacing out who it was right now. Anyway, she was doing something similar like her physical science lesson and they were, typically she would have them build like roller coasters in the classroom and it was a really fun lesson and she loved it and she wanted to do something along those lines. But obviously you can't, tell them, you know, build this roller coaster with these materials, because not everyone has those. So we were talking about how, yes, you can just have the students build it with whatever they have. And whether they're rolling down cars, or they're rolling down marbles, or baseballs, or golf balls, or whatever it is, um, that itself can lead to actually really interesting conversations about data, and about the factors that Affect the data, you know, whether they're rolling down a golf ball versus a, I don't know, a wiffle ball or something like that, they can still probably see the patterns in, you know, the impact of the, ma- like the mass of the ball on the data and, and the angle of the ramp and the height and all, you know what I mean? They can still see those patterns, but they can also see, well, if I, you know, they can also just see how they ended up with very different results. So it just could add um, a lot of depth to the discussion about how data really is messy, and we have to we have to do a lot more deciphering. It's not always just this clean process where we're all um, getting the exact same data and it confirms exactly what we think. Where you know in textbooks it's always so clean, all of the the, the, the patterns are clear. The um, the the way it goes up and down is just you know the theory to the T. And in reality, in the real world, there's always those outliers. There's always those things that affected it. There's always the, the messiness of it. So it was just interesting. Like, yeah, it makes it more complicated, but that complication is kind of a good discussion point for students. And I also love how it just adds that agency of they really are, it's not a cookie cutter lab anymore where I'm telling you what to do and how to build it. It's you need to make these decisions yourself, and it's putting so much more agency, like, to, you know, for them. But, but, okay, but here's a, also a challenge. How do you support them in designing a good experiment or designing a good investigation when you're just like, hey, use whatever supplies you have?
1: Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, um, so one of the things that um, I do with my students in the classroom is when they're planning and carrying out their investigations, they have to, you know, like, create a little write-up for what they're going to do, and then they submit that and then they can't start until they've submitted that. So I review it first, and then they, you know, I kind of tell them, oh, well, you know, you, I think you have too many variables here, or you know, mm-hmm. something like that. And then they go and do their investigation. So um, you, so you can, can also provide that
0: like really specific feedback of how to improve it before they get started.
1: Yeah, and then um, later in the year, once students have gotten really good at that, then I have them do peer to peer um, oh. and they review each other's, and then that just kind of adds that extra layer of, you know. Yeah. That.
0: Well, and then it's less work for you, too. It's, like, more work up front, like everything. It's more work up front. You're spending more time on it, but then – it's less work for you to do later on after they've kind of developed that skill.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I can see a little bit more work than usual because it will be, you know, all of the students where usually it's like a group of students. So it's only like five per class that I'm really looking at. So it will definitely be a little bit more work up front, but I think that that, that'll be really good. I wonder
0: if you could have them collaborate though, even in like maybe partner up and then create a collaborative plan using like a google doc or something like that so they don't have to be together um or breakout rooms or something like that with a material they both have so then at least you have two two students who are running the exact same experiment yeah that might be interesting and they do have to figure out supplies that both of them actually have
1: yeah that's that's a really good idea i also kind of envision um using Flipgrid so that they can show their experimental set, set up because I think Ooh, that that also yes. kind of adds a layer of um, of depth to it and also just like engagement and um, yeah. especially right now like there's so many TikTok trends where it's like you know getting a, a ball to go from like you know upstairs to downstairs you know doing yeah. things so I think the kids will be really into it. That's cool, I like that. I've
0: also seen as a kind of communication tool or discussion tool in the classroom and we're veering a little bit, but I feel like it would be cool here is they could take a picture also of their setup or video and then put it on like a Google Slides and then people can comment on the slides as a way to look at everyone's investigations, look at their data even. It could be like your final project kind of, here's a video of my setup or or here's how I carried out my experiment, here's a picture of it, here's my data. And then people can kind of comment and review each other's data. And then, you know, you go forward with your sense-making discussions and all that.
1: Yeah. And um, all of our student Chromebooks have cameras. So that kind of takes out that that piece of, you know, students not having phones or whatever they would like to use. So yeah, yeah. that's awesome. Ooh, How fun. I know. I'm excited.
0: Ooh, I love that, that whole lesson. That sounds really fun. Um, okay. So beyond the, okay. So yeah, we said, take-home bags, but, you know, there's the drawbacks of those. So instead we can a- ask our students to use just common household items, but we're not telling them which items they need to have. So they sh- really don't need to be going to the store. We're, we're really asking them to be creative and use what they have available, which is also an engineering skill because it's, you're working within your criteria and constraints. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, your criteria is what you've told them to build, but you're working within your constraints. So that's an awesome skill that we can be building in our students. Um, So, but beyond that, like, what are some other, let's say there's something chemistry, for example, I've been working on a, uh, um, a, like, what's for earth science, but it's a light spectra, you know, basically spectral analysis kind of thing, not going to ask students to go light Bunsen burners and like start lighting, um, salt on fire.
1: Yeah. So what is something that we could do as a substitute for that? Okay. So in that instance, I would definitely suggest doing like a demonstration, um, and recording yourself doing it and allowing it to do, allowing them to do it that way. Um, yes. I think you, there's so many things that we're just going to have to be like, Oh, a demo, yeah. yeah, which is not <laughs> ideal, but it will work for this year.
0: Yes, that's true. And a lot of times you can even find videos of those things online. So for like that lesson I was working on, I don't have a Bunsen burner at my house right now. So I found videos of people doing it and I took out the audio of that video. I just found them on YouTube. You can you can embed it so it doesn't have any audio. It's on the website. And now students can go to the website, watch it without any um like any audio going on, so that all they can do, they're not listening to an explanation, they're just watching what happens. And then they're just recording their observations. So, yes, it's not the great, it's not like they're right there doing it and they're not getting that hands on of I'm lighting the burner and things like that, but they're still getting to be, the point the point of it, which is the data collection and the data analysis and the making the observations.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And then I think that we also need to be a little bit forgiving here. Like, you know, I said earlier that we do want kids in middle and high school to be making those um, more quantitative um, observations. And I think that, um, you know, you wouldn't do that anyway with a spectral analysis, but you you know, the qualitative observations are still awesome. But I think that that we need to kind of forgive those students, and not do as much of that like measurement type stuff like for example I'm not going to have kids measure the height of their ramps they're just going to know like higher lower because I don't yeah I don't have a way of getting them making sure that they all have rulers and I think Mm -hmm. that they'll get the main idea we don't need those numbers in order to make sense of the information
0: Well, and even if you do like the exploration where you just have the higher lower, you Mm -hmm. can always then provide them with a set of data that they then analyze, Yeah, you know, so you can say, okay, well, you guys did your own experiments at home. I did my experiment too. And this was the data that I came up with. So let's compare my data and look at the like quantitative stuff that I've collected with the qualitative data that you've collected and, you know, and compare it that way. So you can still bring in that data analysis. It's just, they might not be, you know, collecting it themselves.
1: Yeah. That's a really good idea. I forgot about that. But and like uh-huh.
0: the same with the, my, with like my spectral analysis, I, they were just observing the colors of the flames, but right. then I showed that I just put in like the actual spectral like recording in or not recording, but like the image where it shows the actual spectral lines, mm-hmm. you know, and so it's not like they had they wouldn't do that in the classroom anyway. But I just gave them that like more quantitative hard data where they were just, you know, they were just icy orange.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. It looks like this other orange. (laughs) Definitely. Um, If you are making kits for your students, though, I saw um, somebody do this a couple years ago. IKEA has, you know, those paper, um, those paper like measurement things. Yes. Yeah. and they will give you like a lot of times if you call the manager they'll give you like a big box of them, so oh, nice. um, yeah. just if that's the way that you're gonna go. My IKEA is a hot mess right now, so I'm not going anywhere near there. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah that's no, but that's that's awesome. That's interesting. I
0: wonder if there's other. I wonder if like um, any of the, um, not not just IKEA, but like Home Depot, Lowe's, <laughs> if they have anything similar like that too mm-hmm. that you might be able to get.
1: Yeah. There's a paper lot of yard, paper
0: yardsticks or something like that. Yeah.
1: Me. There's a lot of places willing to donate stuff right now. They, you know, people want to help. So yeah. You know, and stuff you like,
0: need. I mean, a paper yardstick, it's not like it's costing them that much. Yeah. Or, yeah. And especially, I mean, in even regular yardstick, like some of the, I don't know, pay, you know, you just got to wonder, I mean, it says Home Depot, they might even consider it advertising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. So so, yeah, I think those are all really good options for when you don't have the supplies for students to do these things at home. There are still ways to engage our students in exploration, which, again, is the whole point of that activity. I think, I think it really comes back to remembering what is the point of what we're doing. It's not just having them do the activity. It's, it's to explore it, to, to figure it out. And there's ways around doing it exactly as we have, have always done it in the classroom, you
1: know. Yeah, absolutely. And also just, I think that there's a lot of us still doing those like cookie cutter labs and now's a really great time to let those go away from that.
0: Yeah. So this could even be a positive, like it's forcing us to change and, and say, you know, I'm not going to tell you exactly what materials and what things to use. This is your, your chance to have that freedom to figure it out yourself. And obviously I'm going to be there to support you. Yeah. That's always gotta, gotta have that support there. Yeah. Awesome. I think this was um super informative and super helpful. And I hope every all of our listeners think it was too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we will catch you all later. I think Erin always has a little spiel about how to submit your questions.
1: Yes. So if you go to teachingsciencein 3 com slash questions, um, you could submit your questions there. We would really, really, really love it if you were willing to record audio of yourself. Um, and it's just a Google form that you submit and you just drop in your audio. It's super easy. And we would love to hear your voice on the podcast.
0: Yeah, because everybody probably gets sick of hearing us talk. Yeah. I'm pretty sure my husband gets sick of hearing me talk. He basically <laughs> told me that this morning.
1: <laughs> he was nice. like, "Where are you going to leave?
0: And I was like, okay, I'll go. <laughs> uh, anyway.
1: <laughs> Yo, we've been spending a lot of time together. <laughs> I think, yeah, I, love, me and my husband have a wonderful
0: relationship. He's my best friend, yada, yada, yada. We're not mushy yeah. people, but I love him. Yeah. But, um, yeah, he's working from home. I'm working from home. Yeah. A lot of home time together. Yeah. Yeah. We're having a bee problem in our house currently and oh gosh. I I can get, you know, when when I'm concerned about something, I can kind of like harp on it a lot. So I think he was getting a little irritated with me being mentioning that, you know, hey, there's there's bees in our room again. There's bees in our bedroom again. I found another bee. (laughs) So anyway. So thanks so much for listening and we will catch you guys later.
1: Bye. Making sure that your lessons are three-dimensional isn't always easy. While you don't need to include all three dimensions every single day, you do wanna make sure that each dimension is regularly addressed. I developed a really simple 3D planner to help keep me focused. It helps me track which pieces I'm using in my daily lesson plans. It only takes me five minutes to fill out and it helps me notice patterns in my own lesson planning. For example, when I first started using it, I noticed I wasn't including the cross-cutting concepts as often as I thought I was. Just by recognizing this, I was able to focus on this one piece and improve my lessons. Right now, you can grab the same template that I use for my own planning for free. Go to SaddlerScience.com slash 3D Planner to grab yours. That's SaddlerScience.com slash 3D Planner.